Business spending was up maybe 10% in the first half of 2018, ground to a halt in the third quarter. And I think that really got the administration's attention. Clearly, the 25% pullback in the Shanghai Composite got President Xi's attention as well, I'm sure. So maybe that's why we saw some improvement. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Good morning, Ryan. Hey, good morning, John. Happy December to you. Yes, thankfully. Happy to you as well. Uh, It's kind of interesting holiday season, wouldn't you agree? And happy Hanukkah to all our listeners. Um, We had Thanksgiving a couple of weeks ago and just kind of, we kind of lost a week. So hopefully now it's December, everyone can get back into the holiday spirit. Oh, exactly. And with our family, you know, we had plans over the weekend to get a lot of our Christmas tree up and some of those decorations out. And then we had a lot of rain down here in South Carolina, so it kind of pushed sports back. So it's uh, we're still not quite in the festive spirit here in the Dietrich household, but we'll, we'll get there very soon. Right, right. Well, your your family gets festive when the market recovers, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, John, I'm going to answer the yes, but the truth is I don't even think they have a clue. But I, I know. Dad, Dad smiles a little more when, when markets are green, and we've been smiling a little bit lately, so that's a good news. Absolutely. Well, that's wonderful. Well, well, clearly a lot to talk about. Um, we believe there are three real key areas for improved capital investment in 2019, and that has to do with the Federal Reserve, that has to do with improved improved trade situation, and, and finally oil. Last week, we saw a degree of clarity from the Fed over the weekend at the G20 in Argentina. We saw a degree of clarity on uh, tariff tensions. And this week, on Thursday, December 6th, we should see clarity relative to oil prices as OPEC meets and uh, announces a production cut, which is our expectation. So those are some of the things we'd like to talk about today, as well as some of the uh, very impressive December uh, market performance to close with today. But I think first and foremost, Ryan, uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell gave a speech last week. Why don't you, why don't you share a little bit about that? Well, you know, John, the bottom line, we've been talking about what is normal on October 4th. Jerome, Mm -hmm. Fed Chair Jerome Powell opened the door saying we're a long way from normal. You know, and the market took that as, hey, there's more interest rate hikes coming. We're a long way going to be volatility. And that's sure enough what happened. October 4th, market sold off at about a 10% correction from there. And then he came in last week, John, and I'll kind of hand it over to you in a second. He said something. The bottom line, the Dow gained over 600 points, one of the best days in, I think, six or seven months, and mm-hmm. equity markets bounced. John, what exactly did he say that calmed markets there with that word normal? Yeah, he said just below normal. There you go. So just below were the two big words there uh, from a, an hour-long speech. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, you, you mentioned the October 4th thing, and it's kind of interesting the way investors are engaging in some degree of revisionist history. Mm-hmm. Yes, he said long way from normal, but the markets were initially positive and the markets were init- the, the yield curve initially steepened on the fact that the other two words he said in October was that uh, the U.S. economic outlook was remarkably positive, and no one can see my air quotes there on remarkably right. positive, because that's like a Fed chairman doing a, a backflip in the end zone, because Fed chairs never are that gushing right. about the U.S. economy. So it's kind of interesting, just as October sentiment started to wear. I'm not convinced it was the far from normal comment, or was it concerns about the midterm election that weighed more on investors? You know, so it's really kind of curious. But nonetheless, uh, there was clearly a pivot last Wednesday. And Jerome Powell said that it appeared policy was just below normal. And his reference point for that was the uh, forecast for the 15 Fed members that were highlighting a range of 2.5% on the federal funds rate to 3.5%. And our listeners will know that we've been targeting at LPL Financial a 3% terminal Fed funds rate in 2019. So it does look like December is a lock. But right. now it appears after last week's speech that 
two might be too many next year. Maybe you only see one. Uh, we're still in print at, at, at two hikes for next year, but it is very curious to the degree that market sentiment can shift. And we've talked quite a bit about Fed Chair Powell being more of a market savvy Fed Chair as opposed to just, you know, hunkering down on economic quantitative models, for example. John, that's right. Now, you know, something else about this. He is a new Fed chairman, right? He just took over in early February. And one thing we talked about back then, you tend to see a good deal of market volatility for six or seven months or so of a new Fed chairman. And when he took over, I think it was February 3rd, the Dow actually lost 4.6%, the worst first day ever for a Fed chairman going back to 1913 when the first Fed chairman took over. So, and now in October, he kind of he said what he said, you know, and the market took it one way. So I think you know, there is a learning curve here with the new Fed chairman as well. Of course, he understands what he says really matters. He gets it. But I think October, maybe he really learned and maybe did he kind of do a, you know, oh, here's what I really meant to say about a month right. or so later or six, seven weeks later. What do you think there? Yeah, I don't think, and I don't think it was pressure from the administration. I, I just, didn't say that, but I there just, you go. I mm-hmm. think, uh, you know, as I said in the past, not burdened by the expectations of a PhD in economics, right? He's, go. got his, he's got his market background with Carlisle on his resume and just a terrific background. I think exactly what we need at this point in the cycle. I, I definitely believe we needed Bernanke when he was there. We needed Janet Yellen's skill set, you know, to get us through uh, the remainder of the tapering process, if you will. The fact that Powell is there now, I think, with a few missteps that may or may not be magnified, who knows. Uh, but nonetheless, the degree that policy will not be as restrictive for a number of factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, wages are not growing at the pace they have historically that has scared the Fed. Wages maybe 3% over the past 12 months, whereas historically it's a 4.5% type print that causes the Fed to slam on the brakes. But Powell's also recognizing the lagged effects from previous hikes. And I think part of the reason why I said in October the economic outlook was remarkably positive because he wanted the yield curve to steepen because the Fed's been raising for three years now. Now that it's December of 18, the first hike from zero was December of 15. And the market hasn't embraced the fact that the Fed has been raising. So you got lagged effects, balance sheet reduction. As the Fed is letting its balance sheet unwind, we're now capping at a, a $50 billion per quarter minimum. No, I'm sorry, $50 billion per month. That was per month. Per month. Yeah, so exactly. it's $150 billion right. uh, per quarter maximum. So we don't really know. We as global investors don't really know what the impact there is. But clearly, there's been a lagged effect there as well on market interest rates. So to the degree you look at those two things, concerns about slowing growth, to the degree that housing and autos are suggesting the Fed should slow down uh, with their weak performance recently, there, there are a number of factors in addition to currency and the impact on emerging markets. All right. Now, John, you know, one thing I want to point out, this week in our weekly market commentary, which you put together with Jeff Bookbinder, and I know Jeff listens to this. Jeff, I'm sorry for what my Ohio State Buckeyes did to Northwestern. I'll just leave it at that. But um, <laughs> no, that's a good game. Uh, but you know, so that, that was a great market commentary. Everyone can take a look at. We'll have it in the notes to this podcast as well. But we talked about you know just some market technicals. Last week, the S&P gained just a hair under 5% for the week, one of the best weekly gains in seven years. And where did that support, where did that bounce take place? The early October lows. So from a purely technical point of view, we did find support at the October lows, which is a level we said, hey, we want that to hold. If we don't, we could go down to the February lows. Well, sure enough, we've had a really good bounce. There's different ways to look at market sentiment. 
You know, the one that really got me was the AAII sentiment poll, which looks at the average investors. We had the highest number of bears two weeks ago mm-hmm. since we saw since Feb 16. Now, that's just one way to look at sentiment. There's other ways, but there's some other exactly some other sentiment indicators are really, really flashing concerns. Touch the October lows, bounce, had the good news as we talked about. And we're going to talk about more. It's kind of interesting the way it played out, but you know, seasonality, we're going to talk about December in a little bit. It still looks pretty good here. What do you think? And everybody anticipated the Fed, and they were getting excited about uh, trade. So what happened on Friday after that 5% gain? We saw the S&P close at its 200-day moving average, yes. which historically is support, but now it's transition to resistance. So the degree we power through 2670, we're recording this on Monday morning, December 3rd, and futures were up about 1.5%. So to the degree we were able to bust through that 2800, 2820 type Mm -hmm. area, uh, the 2875, I think, would give the market the all clear because that's about the number in October where the S&P 500's 50-day moving average really curved right. lower. Curved lower. Mm-hmm. So to the degree we get through that, then you know investors can once again focus on some of the fundamental supporting increased capex. So obviously monetary mm-hmm. policy was one. We certainly want to talk about trade today as well as oil prices. Uh, one final thing mm-hmm. on the Fed before we transition to trade. I think it's important to remind investors and our listeners that Powell gave the most important speech last week, but speech number 1A was from Vice Chair Rich Clarita, who used to be at uh, PIMCO, uh, good partners of ours. And what we've seen from that speech was a clear economic geek speech, if I may call it that. And to the clarity that Clarita provided, uh, certainly talked about a definition of neutral and what is neutral mm-hmm. in a fully employed economy, what is neutral with productivity up 2% over the past 12 months. To the degree we get clarity on that, you can have businesses spending again, whether the clarity is on oil, interest rates, or trade, once businesses take advantage again, because business spending was up maybe 10% in the first half of 2018, ground to a halt in the third quarter. And exactly. I think that really got the administration's attention. Clearly, the 25% pullback in the Shanghai Composite got President Xi's attention as well, I'm sure. So maybe that's why we saw some improvement. But to the degree, as Rich Clarida emphasized, you get improved CapEx benefiting growth in productivity, which can continue to see improved wage growth without posing an inflationary threat. Because as productivity increases, output per hour worker improves, it is not an inflationary threat because those prices can be absorbed. So I think that is so terribly important. Right. Now, just one quick comment there on inflation. Last week, the Fed's favorite measure of inflation, the PCE, which, John, what is it? The Personal Consumption Expenditures? Yep. Core. Core. Excluding food and energy. Yeah. So that came in again under 2%, so we're not seeing any real worries of inflation. Now, John, I did enjoy this morning. We do a daily call for our advisors, LPL Research Morning Call, and you talked about, you you know, I'm going to ask you this, but the president that just passed away, President Bush, number 41, passed Mm -hmm. away. You had some really kind comments. Let's talk about him for a minute, and then we'll kind of go into the trade. Yeah, certainly a national day of mourning on Wednesday. Really, what I said on the call this morning, regardless of political affiliation, um, I think, most, if not all, would agree that it was a remarkable life he led. Uh, when you just think about it, it was the first NCAA championship, yep. I believe, at Yale. Right. Uh, you know, war hero getting shot down and lost two of his two of his colleagues in that incident, and then he had to spend thirty days on a sub. You know, when they fished him out of water, and to the degree that that improved his drive, successful businessman, congressman, uh, UN ambassador head of the CIA during the Cold War. Can you imagine what that was like? 
and then vice president and president. And uh, he, he he served with honor, and that was his goal. And one thing I wasn't aware of either, John, there was a cartoon, I guess we'll call it, that went viral over the weekend. It was of of him and his wife, Barbara, in heaven with their three-year-old daughter. They had a three-year-old daughter pass away of yeah. leukemia. 1954. So, exactly. Died, yeah. So they showed him driving up, flying up to heaven in, in his um, war plane and... It, just, it was just very touching, oh, touching him. Yeah, and it's, I believe it said, "We were waiting for you, or we were waiting on you." A Barbara's yeah. quote to him, Barbara uh, and the daughter. The, exactly, exactly. Well, if that doesn't him, get so. you to tears. Exactly, he said uh, people were crying. Re- seeing Check that. out the photo mm. of the Golden Lab Sully uh. napping uh, next to the coffin mm. as he's lying in oh, state. My. So that's a. Uh, yeah. That, that brought tears to my eyes for all of you dog lovers out there. Mm-hmm. That was a, a great, great shot. Well, so, yeah. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, remember great, him fondly. Exactly. Great comments there, John. Thank you. So, let's change gears then. Uh, we obviously, like we said, the Fed's a very big deal. They kind of said what they said, and Marcus took it well. We had a very important dinner Saturday night down in Argentina. Absolutely. Clearly, it went well because as a time we're recording this, we had some positive news regarding the trade, which John will let you talk about. But equity markets are bouncing on top of a nearly 5% gain last week. So, you'll like that, not really seeing a sell-the-news type mentality quite yet. John, what's the major takeaways from the G20 and what we had? Marcus seemed to like it. What do you think here? I guess the major takeaway is there is no major takeaway other than the fact (laughs) that we have an improved path toward progress. Uh, I want to emphasize this is not a solution to the trade situation. However, it had just become so uh, adversarial and weighed on sentiment so much that we were calling for a path toward improved progress, if you will. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we received that because at the conclusion of the dinner, it was announced that we will not raise tariffs on the 200 or 250 billion in goods from 10% to 25% beginning on January 1st. That's major because right. that would have been a 50 or $60 billion hit to consumers. So that's one major development. Secondly, it appears the U.S. and Chinese officials have agreed on reduced barriers to entry for U.S. businesses doing business in China. The Chinese, in response, announced uh, improved purchases of not just soybeans, but energy, technology, industrial goods as well. So that's going to help narrow that, that gap in the trade deficit. We also heard about discussions on lower tariffs, or a better balance on the tariffs, uh, to the degree that forced joint ventures and technology transfer uh, will be eliminated. That that really is a big deal because as we as we've discussed in the past, you know when. U.S. business wasn't over there to make chairs or tables. It really wasn't a big deal, or textiles. But now that it's technology, now that it's cybersecurity threats, you know, that really escalated, you know, the whole situation. So now that we've got some degree of clarity, some degree to work on a path toward progress over the next 90 days, uh, we think that is a very important development. I think it should be pointed out. I don't see too much commentary on this. March 1st is when the National People's Congress meet, and... um, I would think, now that's just my personal opinion, Just I, I don't think you want anything embarrassing to President Xi mm-hmm. in the week leading, weeks leading mm-hmm. up to that. So it's, it's conceivable we could see something by earlier mid-February for improved uh, trade and not waiting to the 11th hour because of the National People's Congress. So, Well, that, that's interesting. So obviously, they're, I mean, I hate to say, are they not just punting things for 90 days? You know, we've got 90 days here. I mean, you know, some neg- you know, the negative, negative person might say, hey, we're just kicking the can down for another 90 days, and we'll be right back where we are in about 85 days, and then we're going to wonder if we're going to get this solved. I mean, what do you, what do you think there? Yeah, I know that you know some of the more 
hardliner commentary, mm-hmm. if you will, has has come out with that. Uh, but I, I think Market Signals, you know, again, LPL Market Signals podcast, you, you know, to the degree it's a good that podcast. to the degree that um, you know we see again the Shanghai Composite struggling so badly, approval ratings struggling domestically. You know, everyone's getting their attention that you know something needs to be done. The Chinese are likely to increase. Uh, fiscal stimulus next year. I think we'll see that in Europe as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know, given our political makeup, to the degree we'll have anything beyond what's already been put into place from tax cuts and the second tranche of the $300 billion two-year additional spending plan. Uh, it'll be very, very important to get that CapEx thing up. And the best thing to get CapEx up is clarity on trade. So businesses are no longer uncertain. And that's why it really ground to a halt in the second half of 18, uh, because businesses were concerned about logistics for supply chain, whether it be disruption. They were concerned about rising input costs. And to the degree that just weighed on on global growth and business sentiment, you know, and very curious too, CEO confidence at or near record levels, consumer confidence at or see small business record levels. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the small business aren't doing business in China. So Mm -hmm. I think that had something to do with, so we had to like, Look at that one with a grain of salt. But nonetheless, CapEx is the key. And uh, to the degree we get clarity there, we think that will be a very positive development. Markets are voting accordingly this morning, and we will see how that plays out. But I don't view it as kicking the can down the road. I also want to caution our investors that we don't think we'll ever arrive at a perfect solution. You know, we've got four decades of companies selling their soul to get into that market. And uh, you, you can't turn it on a dime. Uh, but now that cybersecurity is the threat, CapEx is being halted. Business spending, business investment, capital expenditures, improved clarity there does bodes well for global growth and corporate profits. All right, one of the most amazing stats I read this year was there are nearly 100,000 tariffs globally. So you mm-hmm. know, we're talking about a few here, and they're, they're big. We're not minimizing, but you know, there are a lot of tariffs and that are already out there. Our average tariff price is about 3%. And in China, it's 9 or 10%. So to the degree that gap narrows, to the degree um, improved clarity on, you know, the lack of technology transfer, for example. I mean, that's a really big deal, particularly with this cybersecurity environment now. No, that's true. You know, two quick comments from me, John, maybe we can move on. I don't know if you mentioned this. China also said they're going to cut tariffs on U.S. cars, which has been a, yes. uh, which is a very big deal. And also, our friends at Strategus Research had a note that, there's only going to be $44 billion worth of new global tariffs in 19 if we freeze the existing tariffs, where it sounds like we are. And the positives from tax cuts and spending next year is estimated to be $122 billion. So, you know, you can almost argue $44 billion new tariffs next year is a rounding error. You know, uh, exactly. And I that's hate to, to say it that bluntly, but it can be. It's weighed on sentiment. One of the mm-hmm. messages we've been delivering to our investors is that the fiscal tailwinds will overwhelm the tariff headwinds. Right. But when you see tariff headwinds on the paper every morning and on all the business shows, uh, segments on that, you know, it does weigh on sentiment. But you're absolutely right. Uh, if you factor in, you know, year to date, just in the first half of 18, we probably brought in, what, 450 or $500 billion in repatriated assets. Exactly. Uh, we've seen, you know, $120 billion to in tax relief to U.S. and small businesses and consumers, $80 billion in immediate expensing this year. And then you look at the Fed with um, improved lending capacity, and then government spending on 150 billion. You, you add those up, you're at 800 billion or a trillion dollars in fiscal tailwind. So, uh, not to minimize the tariff, because you know it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? right? To the degree it slows global growth, and just with that auto announcement, the auto tariff announcement last night, trading in Asia and and Europe, you saw the 
you know, European autos do their best in quite a while. All right. And let's not forget, third quarter, Germany had a negative GDP print, which obviously is concerning. But then this, today, Monday morning, we had a lot of positive manufacturing data out of Europe. Europe's clearly been slowing. Right. But hey, you know, you got to bounce somewhere. And we saw some positive there. So, John, we're kind of running near the end. We probably better, we can talk about this stuff all day. We probably better go we to do. different subjects. Yeah, yes, actually, we do. That's right. We just don't record it. Thank goodness. That's right. <laughs> People might get bored. Uh, but no, you know, oil. Clearly, oil's in the news. Oil lost 22% in November. Uh, one of the largest drops ever. I actually play with some numbers using reliable data back to 1983 from facts that use. Why, why start now with reliable it, it, data? Well, there you go. Well, might as well start sometime. But there have been eight times that oil dropped 20% for a month. Seven of those times, the S&P 500 actually gained. So you think back, in my mind, 2015, early 2016, oil crashed, a lot of concerns. Markets were going down then also. But usually when oil goes down, markets actually take it in stride. Last month, S&P gained almost 2% or so, and oil down 22%. Now oil's bouncing a little bit. What do you think about oil here? But also, I know OPEC has a meeting in a couple of days. What should we be on the lookout for OPEC here well, later let, this let's, week? Let's touch into that data point you just hit. Mm-hmm. So eight times... Oil got rocked. 20% for the month. And the market mm-hmm. was up. Seven of the times. Seven exactly. of the times. Okay. Only October 2008 was the the time they all were down, but everything sold and off was then. was that the last time? Uh, no, no. Actually, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but no, there was okay. another more recent Because time. I think we need to make a distinction here because the U.S. is now the world's primary swing producer. Right. So historically, and this is why we always have to look at historical data with a grain of salt, historically, mm-hmm. Politicians wanted lower oil prices going into elections because that increased consumption, which increased economic activity, which increased corporate profits, will lead to a higher stock market. Uh, now that the U.S. is the world's leading producer and swing producer, there's a different dynamic. You can be mm-hmm. down 20 percent, but it can affect economic growth negatively when CapEx for energy-related right goods and services and drilling and things along those lines is negatively impacted. So I'm not convinced that can be a trend going forward. But more important, the emphasis that we've made in our research over the past several months as oil was weakening was that this is not an indicator of slowing global growth. In our estimation, this is all about excess supply. And to the degree that OPEC has a uh, an earned reputation of not necessarily adhering to the rules, mm-hmm. embracing them more as guidelines, to quote a famous movie. You know, that's one dynamic. But the U.S. being the primary producer really is the game changer. And that's what you never want to say it's different this time. But now that the U.S. is the world's leading producer, producing more than Russia and Saudi Arabia the last two months. Uh, 12, that's, 12 million barrels a day. Yeah, right? that's, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's, a, that's a new dynamic. So we have to be mindful of that. Um, but to the degree we get clarity, the expectations are 1 million, uh, 1.3 million barrel per day cut. Uh, early this morning, we saw clarity from Russia and Saudi Arabia agreeing to right. production cuts, which really offset the concerns about Qatar announcing their exit from OPEC beginning in January, but to the degree that we've seen progress with Saudi and Russia. I suspect in Vienna this Thursday, uh, December 6th, we'll get at least that one million cut. Now, that from a sentiment thing will be very, very positive. 
Uh, you'll prob- we've already seen oil firmed uh, sneak below $50 a barrel late last week on a couple of occasions, yes. but we're up 4% this morning. And at the time of this call, we're doing, what, maybe 53 and change. Uh, so up 4% on Monday morning. So, you know, we look into 2019 as we're writing our outlook. You know, I think mid-60s is probably a fair number for WTI, uh, low 70s then for Brent would be something we could look at purely on the announcement of 1.3 million barrels per day production cut from OPEC. Whether or not they do it is a completely different scenario, but to the degree in global investors play the hand they're dealt, we think that's going to be a positive development. No, great stuff there. So, John, maybe we'll finish it up with this. And we've only got a couple minutes to go. We are in the feel-good time of the year, December. You, know, you look back at history. December is usually one of the strongest months of the year. In fact, since 1950, looking at the S&P 500, December's been up 75% of the time, no month up more. Also up about 1.6% on average, no month up higher on average than the month of December. Just gained a hair under 2% in November, lost 7% in October. What do you think? And will Santa arrive? Obviously, some of the things we just talked about, those three big worries are kind of almost out of the way. Can, will Santa continue to come in on a sleigh this December? Yeah, now that we, if things go as expected on Thursday, That's as we point. anticipate, we have clearance, clearance on three major items, mm-hmm. the Fed, trade, and oil. And as we go into uh, December, which, as you pointed out, is a solid performer seasonally, uh, this is also a midterm election year, as you've pointed mm-hmm. out, and the second half of the fourth quarter tends to see gains of 7 or 8%, and then the next two quarters tend to be two of the strongest quarters in the 16-quarter four-year presidential right. election cycle. So as the market continues to be the best discounting mechanism, we go into 2019 with improved anticipation of uh, CapEx, business investment, then investors start to see firming in profit estimate reductions, right? So to the degree that levels off, because it held up very well, profit forecasts held up very well in October, but the last handful of weeks we started to see a bit of a pullback, but the message we'll be getting out to our investors is that even if profits were up, say, 25% in 2018 and are up only 8% next year, that is 8% off a record level, which is a premium to historical averages. So we'll have record profits growing at above historical averages, discounting those profits, not at historic lows, but below average rates, which enhances not only the present, but future value of that earnings. That bodes very well for equity prices going forward. So uh, we're, we're very encouraged in spite of the many, many challenges out there as we look at the fundamentals with a tailwind of an improved technical picture. Uh, we're pretty excited heading into 2019. Uh, two final comments from me, me John. I'll let you uh, sign us off. So one, December has never been the worst month of the year since 1950, looking at the S&P 500. So that's just something to think about. We were down 6.9% in October. Now, compliance will yell at me. This is not a guarantee, but history would say definitely don't expect a sell-off like that. And potentially, as we just said, maybe a little sandal rally could uh, could be in play. The other thing, you mentioned midterm years. And we talked about this oh, probably a month and a half ago or so. I want to bring it back up, though. October 29 was the closing low for the S&P the month of October. Right. I took a look at this. Going back to 1950, the, the year has never closed lower than the October low. In fact, the S&P gains about 10% on average from those October lows. We're up mm-hmm. about 5% or so from the October lows right now. 
Um, you know, it's just things to think about. Midterm years, those October lows can be pretty powerful. And that's so far playing out. We'll kind of see if it keeps going. And when you just see the fundamental environment that we've talked about, again, not to be dismissive of the many, many mm-hmm. geopolitical tensions out there, uh, but when you look at purely at the fundamentals and getting the clarity, again, to, I guess to conclude, yes. uh, achieving clarity on Fed, on interest rates for next year, on trade, uh, path toward progress for tariffs, and then finally uh, production cuts in oil to help reaffirm the fact that lower oil is not a demand or global economic issue. It is a supply issue, and to the degree investors get that, uh, I see no reason why the fundamentals cannot support the historical technical data that you've provided. So with that, we will conclude today's podcast. want to thank everyone for listening. want to wish you a happy holiday season as Ryan and I endeavor to share that joy each day over the course of the next month. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construe as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.